Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. Amen. If you would turn with me to Luke 4, verses 14 through 30. We're going to read a lot of the Bible today. Is that okay with you? Do we read the Bible at Tree of Life Church? Just checking. Okay, cool. Um, So I want to start right here. I'm in the New Living Translation. If you're not, just follow along as best as you can. Sometimes it's awesome to be in a different translation because, you know, there may be a word that's translated differently in the version that you have, and maybe that sticks out to you more or something to that effect. So I love that. But it says, then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Now, let me tell you what he had just gone through. The Holy Spirit had led him into the wilderness. He fasted for 40 days. He didn't eat anything for 40 days. And the devil himself came and tempted him in some major ways. How many of you know that when you're in God's will, even when the devil tries to come against you, you can walk out full of the power of the Holy Spirit. You can walk out full of victory and you can accomplish your destiny in life. Amen. So he walks back, he goes back to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly throughout the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. But when he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue, kind of it would be the church for us, on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. Don't you wish we still had scrolls in church? I just think that'd be really fun. And it says that he unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to him, to them. The scripture you just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Look at your neighbor and say, awkward in church. Could you imagine if one of us read a scripture and said, and that's me. That would be terrifying. Could you imagine if you're in church one day and you said, that scripture was written about me if somebody stood up and said that. But Jesus was the Messiah. He was the anointed one is what that means. And anointed means that he was marked by God. He had a special anointing or a special call of God on his life. He was the son of God. And this scripture was written about him hundreds of years before he stood up in this synagogue and read it. And it was fulfilled in Jesus because he came to set us free. Just like we saying, there's power in the name of Jesus. But here's what's crazy to me. And I never thought about this, honestly, until I just said that. When he came out of the wilderness, he came out of temptation and he came out of trial and he came out of the devil trying to stop him. Do you know what he walked into? He walked into that synagogue eventually a little bit after that. And he read what God had prophesied about him through Isaiah so long ago. When we come from a place of, this is, when we come from a place of where the devil's been trying to test you and he's been trying to tempt you, do you know what he's trying to do to you? He's trying to rob you of your destiny. He's trying to derail you from the call that God put on your life because it's not just Jesus that had a call on his life before he was ever born. God told the prophet Jeremiah, before you were even even born, I formed you in your mother's womb and I appointed you a prophet to the nations. 
Maybe God didn't appoint you as a prophet to the nations, but maybe God appointed you to be an incredible mom who would raise kids who were world changers. Maybe God appointed you to be a light in your workplace, whether you're a mechanic or a businessman or a school teacher. But every trial and every temptation that the devil tries to take you through, he's gonna try to derail you from your destiny. But if you'll just walk through it with the word of God on your side, if you'll just take up the armor of God and hold up the shield of faith to fight off his attacks, and if you'll just pull out the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and begin to declare that God has good plans for my life, plans to prosper me and not to harm me, plans to give me a future and a hope, then you'll come out on the other side and your destiny will be fulfilled just like Jesus's was. And there's so many people who are riding on your destiny. Let's not give up. So anyways, it goes on and it says, everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. How can this be, they asked. Isn't this Joseph's son? You ever gone to a high school reunion? You walk up and you're like, isn't that that guy? Wasn't that guy the coolest person in high school? Anybody ever had that thought maybe? No, anybody ever seen somebody on Facebook and thought, what in the world? Right? No? Okay, just me? Never mind. All right, cool. Probably people thought that about me. What happened to you? And I'm just kidding. So anyways, they said, isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't this just the kid that we saw at soccer practice when they were kids? I don't know what they played for games back then, so we'll say soccer. We know this kid. And then Jesus starts talking again, and he says, you will undoubtedly quote me this proverb, physician, heal yourself, meaning... Do miracles here in your hometown like those you did in Capernaum. But I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. Certainly there were many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the heavens were closed for three and a half years and a severe famine devastated the land. Yet Elijah wasn't sent to any of them. Elijah was a prophet in the Old Testament. He was sent instead to a foreigner, a widow of Zarephath in the land of Sidon. And many in Israel had leprosy at the time of the prophet Elisha, but the only one healed was Naaman, a Syrian. And when they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. Hey, this isn't funny anymore. This isn't awesome anymore. We're not amazed anymore. We're mad. Because he walked into our town and he said, no prophet gets respect in his hometown. He basically was saying, I know you're not going to respect me. So when they heard it, the people in the synagogue were furious. Jumping up, they mobbed him and forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. They intended to push him over the cliff, but here's the cool thing about Jesus. It says he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. He said, don't touch me, and he just left. Maybe he didn't say don't touch me, but that's just in my head. Is that okay if we just throw in that right there? In today's language, that's what he said. I just can't imagine what would happen if somebody mentioned something like that in church, but he was the Messiah. Now, here's what I want to talk to you about today a little bit, is this concept of eligible. Everybody say eligible. And I posted on Facebook today, this is not a a sermon about dating. If you see the title eligible, all the singles in the room are like, yes, a sermon about dating. It's not that. College people, it's not about that. But this is a, a sermon about eligible. What makes you eligible? See, because when Jesus began talking about Elijah helping this woman from Zarephath, she was a widow. There's a severe famine in this land for three and a half years. There's a drought, no rain for three and a half years. We've had some serious droughts in Texas. 
but that hasn't happened since I've lived here. Three and a half years. Could you imagine the poverty in this land? Could you imagine the people scraping for something? And there's all these people in his hometown, in his homeland, but God sends him to a foreign lady. Now that may not mean a lot to you and I, but back in those days, the Jews, Israel, they kind of had the inside track on the things of God. They kind of got first dibs on, on the things of God. They were God's chosen people. And so for them, it was kind of interesting that God wouldn't send the prophet to somebody in their homeland, but he'd send the prophet to a foreigner. And he walked in there and he began talking to this lady, he asked her to make him some bread and give him some water. And she said, you don't understand. I only have enough just for one last little meal. And after that, my son and I are gonna die. And he walked in there and he told her, go ahead and make it, make it in faith and God will keep providing. And a miracle took place that day and God provided everything they needed. And actually later her son passed away and God raised that young man up from the dead. Then there was a story about Elisha and Elisha was like the successor to Elijah. He came after Elijah and the crazy thing about Elisha was God didn't use him to heal somebody with leprosy, which was the skin condition. He didn't use him to heal somebody with leprosy in the land of Israel. But he brought Naaman in. And if you know who Naaman was, Naaman was a commander in the Syrian army. And can I tell you a little secret? The Syrians didn't like Israel and Israel didn't like the Syrians. In fact, when Naaman showed up to the king, he asked for healing of this leprosy because there was no cure for it back then. And when he showed up, the king was terrified. Basically, when he got the letter from Naaman, he said, how in the world is he asking me to heal him? Now I know he's just gonna come. And he basically he was saying, he just wants to pick a fight with me. Oh, you can't heal me? Now we're gonna attack you and take over your land. He had no faith, but Elisha stepped in. When Elisha heard about it, he gave instructions to Naaman and Naaman was healed. What's so interesting about this is that at that time, wouldn't you have thought that the people of Israel should have been eligible for the healing or for raising their son from the dead or for providing their every need? See, they were God's chosen people. They had the inside track. They were the ones that the law was given to at Mount Sinai, not Naaman the Syrian or the lady from Zarephath. God gave the law to the Jews and they should have been eligible for that before any of them. You know, I began thinking about that and this story kind of represents two types of people. Those who have lost it all and those who have it all. It represents those who have lost it all and it represents those who have it all or appear to have it all. And those who have lost it all are people who have hit rock bottom. Maybe they're at the end of their rope financially emotionally, relationally, or spiritually. Come on, you, we all know somebody like that, yeah? We've all been there, yeah? They think, you know what, I have nothing and I need a miracle right now. See, when Elijah walked up to this widow, she literally had nothing. I'm gonna make my last meal for me and my son and then it's over for us. 
But God stepped into her situation. The woman who didn't seem eligible for the grace of God. She would have been the one that you'd have said, well, take a number. There's a lot of people in front of you here in the kingdom of Israel. But God said, I'm going to bless her. And then there's people who appear to have it all. They seem to lack nothing on the outside, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, or financially, but they're missing something on the inside. No matter how successful they may seem, they can secretly feel broken, inadequate, and ineligible on the inside. And they often think, if they only knew what my life is really like, Or they even carry this attitude towards their relationship with God and they say, you know, God wouldn't love me if he only knew. Has anybody ever been there before? You don't have to raise your hand. Can I be honest with you? I've been in both of those places. I'll never forget sitting when I kind of felt like I had lost so much in my life and was really confused about things, sitting at a table full of people And everybody else was happy and laughing and having fun, but inside I was broken and I was hurting. And I'll never forget, I closed my eyes and I said something like, God, I thank you that you're my dad. And everything shifted for me. Things didn't get fixed, but a peace came over my life. I wrote a little bit of a song in that time and it said, whom have I in heaven but you? And the concept was coming from Psalms where David said that, but in my heart that rang true that, listen, I've got nothing anymore but you, God, and I rely on you. But I've also been the person who's walked into church on a Sunday morning and looked like they had it going on and had it together, but in your mind you say, if you only knew what I've been through this week. If you only knew how hard I had to struggle this week to get into the word. Have you ever been there before? If you only knew the fight that it was for me to worship God, if you only knew the fight that it was for me not to be rude to my spouse or my coworker or my family member or my friends, if you only know the addictions that I struggle with, so many people walk in the doors of church and spiritually they look like they've got it all together. But on the inside, we don't know where they're at. Naaman on the outside looked like he had it all together. He was the commander of a powerful army. He was successful. His boss, the king, really, really liked him. But inside there was a problem. There was an issue. There was a hurt that not a lot of people knew about. And I dare say that's probably some of us today. So I was reading the scripture that Jesus was quoting. And it's actually from Isaiah 61. And the Lord began to speak to my heart about it, began journaling. It says in Isaiah 61, one through seven, I'm gonna read through this fast, so bear with me. It says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. So it's saying the spirit of God was upon Jesus. For the Lord has anointed Jesus to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And with it, the day of God's anger against their enemies. Now we know that our enemies aren't flesh and blood enemies, but our enemy is the devil and every demon that runs with him, that's our enemy and the anger of God is coming against them. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. They will rebuild the ancient ruins, repairing cities destroyed long ago. They will revive them, though they have been deserted for many generations. 
Foreigners will be your servants. They'll feed your flocks and ply your fields and tend your vineyards. You will be called priests of the Lord, ministers of our God. You will feed on the treasures of nations and boast in their riches. And I like this part. It says, instead of shame and dishonor, you will enjoy a double share of honor. You will possess a double, a double portion of prosperity in your land and everlasting joy will be yours. How many times do we feel that we're ineligible for freedom, that we're ineligible for joy, that we're ineligible for honor, that we're ineligible for freedom from the shame of our past? How many times do you and I feel like we don't qualify because of who we are? And if only people knew they would actually know the real me. Or maybe it would just be, you know what, I live totally and completely right now, but I just think about all the things I did before I came to the Lord. You know what the Lord began to show me? That if you go through these verses, I want to show you this really quick. It says, the only qualification for good news is poverty. He said, I came to preach the good news to the poor. The only qualification for good news is poverty. The only qualification for comfort is a broken heart. The only qualification for freedom is that you're a prisoner. The only qualification for God's favor is mourning. The only qualification for beauty is ashes. The only qualification for festive praise. I like that they said festive praise. Because a lot of us come into church sometimes and we're like, I praise you, God, I thank you for all that you've done. But festive praise is a little different, if you know what I mean. Festive praise is David dancing like a wild man to the point where his wife was like, what are you doing? That's festive praise. Here's what I learned kind of early on in life is the people with the craziest, most festive praise are oftentimes the one who got saved the most radically. They came from something crazy in life. Sometimes, just to be real with you, some of the cheesiest people, do you know what I'm talking about? The people that are like, ooh, I don't know if that's the cool thing to say to witness to somebody. I don't know if that's how you should say that to somebody. They're kind of cheesy with their faith, over the top about it. Sometimes it's honestly just because they were the ones that got delivered for something so crazy that they never should have been here today. I respect that. The only qualification for festive praise is despair. The only qualification for honor is shame and dishonor. Think about single moms who maybe went through a divorce and felt the dishonor of that. I think God would say to you, the only qualification for honor and a double portion of honor is the shame and dishonor that you may have walked through in life. When Jesus... Or when Isaiah spoke those words inspired by the Holy Spirit, he didn't say, the spirit of the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor if they're good enough or if they have this much in their bank account. He didn't say, beauty for ashes, but only if it's kind of bad, but not all the way bad. And only if the ashes weren't your fault, somebody else did it to you and you didn't dig yourself into that hole. He said, I give beauty for ashes. I proclaim good news to the brokenhearted. I proclaim freedom to captives, not freedom to people who are already struggling and working their way out of captivity and they're almost there. So I'll give them a little bit of hand up and get them out of there. All he said was, are you captive? Are you broken? Are you hurting? Then there's freedom for you. 
You know, the Apostle Paul tried his best to earn grace, but he had an encounter with Jesus that changed his life. He was zealous about following the law. Philippians 3, 5 through 7, he kind of describes who he was before Jesus. He said, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. That was a big deal to a Jewish person back in those days. It meant a lot. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. As for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. He said, I did everything I could to try to earn freedom, to try to earn beauty for ashes, to try to earn the good news on my own. And you know the conclusion that he came to in verse seven? He says, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless. Everybody say worthless because of what Christ has done. Everything that he spent his life building on, trying to be as perfect as he could, trying to earn his salvation, trying to be eligible for the goodness and the favor of God. Once he had an encounter with Jesus, he said, that's all worthless to me now because Jesus did it all for me. He paid it all for me and I can't earn it, so I count it all as trash. Everything that I've tried to get on my own, everything that I've tried to earn on my own, I count it as worthless. Paul's vitriol and his anger towards Christians was the result of a religious mindset in which he felt he had to earn it all and make sure others earned it too. Many times we're judgmental because we feel we don't deserve grace and if I can't have it, you can't have it either. A lot of times when we're judgmental, I'll say that again, it's because we feel like we don't deserve grace and if I can't have it, you can't have it either. I don't want to give you the grace that's been extended to me because maybe, just maybe, I don't believe that God's really given me that much grace. Maybe I still feel like I have to earn it. Maybe still, I still feel like I have to be good enough for it and work for it. But I believe that Paul's description of himself tells us that we've got nothing to earn. I think about grace and I think about earning God's favor A lot of people have had really bad experiences with parents and I'm sorry that that's happened in your life. But can I tell you something? If you've got to work hard to make your parents like you, your parents aren't operating in the love of Jesus. So we take this mentality into our relationship with God. Maybe it was friends for you, middle school, brutal. Middle school leaves a lot of scars that last a lifetime. Maybe it was high school, whatever that may be. If you felt you had to earn people's favor and their love, you may just be carrying that into your relationship with Jesus. But if somebody makes you earn their favor and their love, is it really love? No. If God makes you earn his favor and his love, is he really the perfect father? The answer would be no. You can't earn the love of a father. Now you can do things to position yourself under the blessing of a father. Does that make sense? If you do certain things and you walk away from your family, then there's nothing that they can do to help you at times except invite you home and invite you home and invite you home and keep loving on you and invite you home. 
Sometimes I think that's the way that God feels with us like the prodigal son when he st- the, the dad stood outside the door and he just waited for him to come home. But do you notice when he got home, he didn't have to earn his dad's love back because the love never went away. He never had to earn dad's favor back because favor never went away. All he had to do was come back home and say, dad, I'm so sorry. Some of us feel like we have to earn God's favor and his love back because we spent so many years doing things we shouldn't have been doing. And I believe that God would say to you, if that's the way I act, then I'm clearly not the perfect father. But good news, I am the perfect father. My love for you has never changed. And I'm ready to pour blessings on you just the same as when you first came to me. So what happens is sometimes we get saved and we experience God's grace. And for a while, we really enjoy it. But I wonder if sometimes we forget and then we begin to put ourselves into legalism again. I'm not talking about doing whatever you want. That's called loving God and living holy because you love God. If you have a spouse, you don't commit adultery because you love your spouse, not just because the Bible says it. Does that make sense? That's the same way with the things of God. I don't have to not sin because the Bible says not to sin. I have to not sin because I just love God and I want to be close to him. So I want to give you a few ways to defeat the lie of ineligibility. I was praying that I could say the word ineligibility because that is a really long and tongue-twisting word. Can you say that with me one time? Say ineligibility. Look at your neighbor and say, you said it wrong. I don't really know that. But oftentimes what happens, I just give you my own experience. I grew up in church, got saved at three years old. If you don't believe that somebody can get saved at three years old, Mr. J prayed with me in the Rainbows classroom at Praise Assembly of God in Beaufort, South Carolina. You can't get saved at three. Pay attention to what kind of music you play around your kids because they remember a lot of things. And I got saved at three. At 15 years old, I I remember I struggled hugely with legalism. I thought I had to earn God's grace and favor. And I will never forget, I led worship one night and then uh, a mentor of mine sat me on a stage and he said, you've got to quit trying to earn God's righteousness and realize that righteousness has been given to you by Jesus. And I just began to cry. Because honestly, my relationship with the Lord was horrible during the time that I was trying to earn his favor. Isn't it funny how that works? When you try to earn God's favor, when you try to earn his love and his blessing and his forgiveness and his grace, what happens is you think, man, I blew it. And then in your head, you think, he also thinks I blew it. So now instead of coming to him, like the Bible says, boldly before the throne, where we receive mercy and grace in time of need, instead, we hide from him, just like Adam and Eve did. So Fighting legalism in our lives is a huge thing and fighting this feeling that I'm not eligible for the grace of God. Listen, you don't know me. You don't know what I did. Or maybe it's just I'm eligible for the grace of God, but the favor and the blessings that he pours out on other people, surely he doesn't want to do that for me. They're super spiritual and I'm just over here reading my Bible, but you know, I'm not quite as spiritual as them. Let's fight that lie today. Can we do that? So three ways. Here we go. Fill up on his word. Fill up on his word. I'm gonna go pretty quick. Anybody have teenage boys in the room? Can I see your hand? Anybody had teenage boys? Lift your hands to these people. Pray for them in Jesus' mighty name. It was just me and my sister growing up. We were six years apart. We didn't fight much because there's not a lot of common interests when you're six years apart and a boy and a girl. And there's not a lot to do there. But I'm gonna say, don't take my Nerf gun. She'll be like, I'm an 18-year-old girl. I don't care. So 
there wasn't a lot to fight about. And also a benefit was there was not a lot of smell in our house. Bad smell. It was good smell because my sister was around, but there wasn't a lot of bad smell. But anybody who has teenage boys, it's either on or it's off with teenage boys. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's either really good or really bad. And a lot of times teenage boy version of really good is also really bad because either they just don't care and they never take care of that. They never shower or anything like that. And you walk in their room and it just hits you. It's not the glory cloud, if you know what I'm saying. Or they really care too much about what the girl at school thinks and they buy Axe by the case, the body spray, and they spray it all over themselves and their whole car smells like it and it's terrible. You ever had somebody hug you and you hug them and you leave and you smell like them? Ooh, not a good feeling. I wonder what would happen if we spent so much time in the presence of God that it kind of rubbed off on us like that. I wonder what would happen if God's opinion of you began to rub off on you. You began to see yourself the way that God sees you. You began to quit thinking of yourself through your own eyes, but you began to see yourself the way that he sees you, which is bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. The highest price ever that could be paid was paid for you. So I'm going to go really quick. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says to let God transform you by changing the way that you think. We've got to let God do a work on the inside of us and transform us by changing the way that we think. In Joshua 1.8, God told Joshua, continually keep the word of God in your heart, in your mind, meditate on it day and night. Gross word, meditate in the Hebrew was kind of the connotation of an animal chewing its cud. You know, animals have multiple stomachs and they'll spit it back up and they'll chew on it again. It's disgusting, right? Nobody's hungry anymore. But you know what? Throughout your day, the word that you read in the morning or last night, pray that the Lord would pop it up in your heart again. That when you feel like, you know what? I've gone too far. I've messed up too much. Maybe you would stop and say, you know, actually the Bible says that I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. And those days, when you seek me with all your heart, you'll find me. Maybe you would begin to think about the fact that John 3, 17 says, there is now therefore no condemnation. Or not John 3, 17, I'm sorry. It's John 3, 17 says that God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. What if you quit thinking about your ineligibility and started thinking about God's word instead and the grace revealed in his word? What if you began to think about him so much that his thoughts began to rub off on you like a teenage boy with really bad deodorant and you began to think the way that he thinks? Ever had a friend that you hung out with so much that you picked up on their accent? What if you began to talk with the accent of God about yourself? Number two, I gotta move quick. Let go of religion. Galatians 5.1 says, now Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Look at your neighbor and say, let it go. Look at your other neighbor. I'm making you all sing now. Let it go. Don't, don't sing that song. So, somebody booed. That was awesome. If Christ sets you free, the Bible says don't go back to trying to earn it. The law wasn't a bad thing. The law was a set of rules to protect people, but it showed us that we're not good at following rules. So God had to step in and make a way for us. 
Galatians 5, Paul's, Paul's telling them, listen, Jesus sets you totally free from all the wrong things that you've done. Now don't try to earn your salvation anymore. Just try to get close to Jesus and let him transform you just by hanging out with him. Get close to him. If you've ever had a friend that cut you down all the time, that said stuff about you that was just kind of, you know those, you know those friends that kind of have those little jabs at you? Anybody know those people? Those are the people you don't want to be around. But have you ever had a friend that when you got around them, you left and you felt like a million bucks? You walked away and you felt like, man, I just feel so encouraged and so built up. I feel like somebody loves me, like somebody believes in me. Jeremy Cobb, one of our guitar players on stage, he's that guy for me that encourages me. My wife is that person for me. And so we need that to be Jesus in our lives. And he'll say, you know what? This right here, we need to work on. You need to change this, but I've covered it with my grace. Let's work on it and fix it, but let's keep going. Number three, be a grace giver. Say grace giver. Second Corinthians 5, 18 and 19 says, and all this is a gift from God who has brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. And I love what it says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 10. It says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation isn't a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Think on this. When we don't want to give grace, we have to realize that God gave grace to us when we least deserved it. A challenge for you. A lot of you are good at giving grace, but bad at receiving it. Ask the Lord every time that you give grace to remind you that he's even better than you at giving it. Every time you give grace to your spouse or your kids or your coworker that is always talking at the cubicle, please stop talking. You know the one. Then what you need to do is say, God, as I give them grace, remind me that you're so much better at giving grace than I am. And remind me that that grace is so much greater even in my life than what I just gave to them. So what do we do to help ourselves stay in the mindset that, you know what? I can't earn God's grace and favor. I am eligible for his grace and favor simply because I'm broken and he loves me. Number one, we fill up on his word. What does he think about you? Number two, we let go of religion. We let go of earning it on our own. And number three, we should be grace givers. If you give it out, it'll remind you every time that God gave it to you first. Amen? Awesome. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the chance to learn about the word. We thank you for grace poured out. But when Jesus came and he died, it was grace poured out for everyone who would receive it. That Jesus didn't come and handpick a couple of people that he would like to give grace to. But the Bible says in John 3, 16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish or die, but have everlasting life. 
that God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And we are the whoever. We are part of this world that you gave for. No matter where we've been, no matter what we've done, no matter the mess we've landed ourselves in, no matter the family we may have been born into, you say, whoever would call on the name of the Lord will be saved. We hope that you enjoyed this message. You can find more messages and information about Tree of Life Church at treeoflifechurch.org. We'd like to invite you to come visit us at 5513 IH35 South in New Braunfels, Texas, or you can watch us on live stream. Thank you again for listening.